Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I am your host as always, Steve Hall, and I am here with Dr. Amelia Thompson, um, who I'm very excited to interview, and we're going to be talking about something that I think doesn't get talked about enough within the fitness industry in general, and I think Amelia is doing a fantastic job at it, which is why I have her on here. Um, I think it's becoming better known, and we'll dig into it, but first of all, I want to introduce Amelia to you guys. So Amelia is a registered nutritionist with the Association for Nutrition. Uh, she's a lecturer in sports nutrition. She's a PhD in exercise physiology and has also compet- uh, competed rather in bikini and has done incredibly well. She competed for three years and was really successful. So I don't know if there's anything else you want to add to that, Amelia, a little bit about yourself or anything I should have said. No, you've done quite well there. That's quite flattering. Thanks. <laughs> well, it's all stuff you'd really do. So it's nice when someone yeah, sometimes lists off your achievements in mm. some ways. Um, yeah. Also, I should say she's an online coach and um, and helps a lot of people with some of the things that we're going to be talking about today. So the thing and the topic of today is going to kind of be mindful eating and developing positive relationships with food. And across social media, Amelia does a fantastic job at kind of discussing this. I think it's a little bit of a niche that a lot of people don't necessarily discuss, but I think it's maybe a lot broader than many realize. So the first kind of question I wanted to go into was, Specifically, what is your experience with kind of mindful eating and what took you to go down that kind of route? Yeah, so my background is quite similar to a lot of people who have competed before. I went into competing not really knowing what I was doing, um, and that's quite normal. And following really structured meal plan approaches, I'd kind of come from a background of quite disordered eating patterns myself. Um, I'd been a binge eater, but I didn't quite know what binge eating was particularly. Um, I'd been the kind of restrict, over-restriction person. I'd been very underweight. And then competing allowed me to get stronger and feel good about myself. And so I got into competing. And after I did my first competing, like after I did my first show, my first full season, I really fell back into old habits of kind of binge eating type behavior and over restriction again and binge exercise as well and I kind of didn't really address it until I did a full other season so I competed the first time with a coach um, who was great but it was quite a kind of traditional method of prep but that was great at the time um, I competed a full season myself self-prepped and again after competing at finals I fell into that kind of binge eating um, cycle again and there was nobody out there that ever spoke about it. Um, no bikini athletes and no bodybuilders ever said to expect you're probably going to have a hard time after you compete. Um, and so I was quite naive to it. And at the time, I was lecturing in sports nutrition. So I had access to a lot of good people. I was in a nutrition department. And I just kind of started researching what I can do to help myself. Um, and I kind of fell into mindful eating and the kind of well, the tools around mindful eating. And then I just kind of delved into the research and took it from there. And I used it on myself first. Um, and then the more and more research I did, the more and more I found out how much it's used in binge eating type behavior mm-hmm. and disordered eating and kind of just escalated from there, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it's, I think you're completely right in that. Uh, it's only until recent years we kind of had the reverse dieting which was first popularized by like Lane Norton and things and it's only been I think maybe a couple of years that they've had kind of the recovery diet with the 3DMJ guys so there wasn't really I mean these came around because of the people struggling so much after shows uh, and it makes complete sense when you think about it like we're of course we've just dieted ourselves down to kind of extreme levels of body fat 
for a long period of time, the body wants to get back to normal. Why do you think your kind of eating habits developed the way they did? Do you think it was because of the extreme protocols of kind of for bikini or do you think it was kind of the restrictions that were put on to the diets that you had to follow initially or what do you think it maybe was? I think I think it's really important to say here, like I think competing gets a really bad rap for producing these types mm-hmm. of disordered eating habits. Generally speaking, it, it only happens to people most of the time if you've got something underlying, whether or not that's been triggered yet or not, it might not have done. Um, so I had those issues before I competed. It wasn't a result of competing per se, but um, it, it's the extreme restri- it's the extreme restriction that comes with dieting, regardless of how flexible you are. Um, the first time I wasn't very flexible and I struggled more so. And the more flexible I became, the easier I found it. Um, but it's that kind of combination of the the change in your body, um, which we all know is it's hard to see your body going the opposite way to what you've kind of programmed your brain to think should be happening for the last 16 weeks. Um, and the fact that it, I was just starving mm-hmm. and I had no regulation of my internal hunger cues. And that's where mindfulness comes into play quite a lot. You know yourself, you kind of, you learn to just switch off that hunger. You just deal with it and you say, oh, hunger's normal. I can ignore it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when you come out of a show, the, the binging kind of occurs because you 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 honor your hunger like you should but then you feel guilt for honoring yeah. that hunger because you haven't allowed yourself to do that for however many months and so the the guilt pattern kicks in and it just results in more binging so it's a it's a mixture of it all really it's not competing per se but it, it, it is that extreme dieting for sure yeah i think you're completely right in that it's not like when you compete you're going to come out with an eating disorder but i guess we all understand elements of competing produce disordered styles of eating just because you you have to, you have to kind of weigh out things to the gram. You have to be that extreme and then you want to transition away from that. In terms of that transition, what kind of steps did you take? I guess initially it was probably quite difficult. Did you have a, I mean, I guess you probably like anyone went into it and found things that were successful, things that weren't. Do you have like a process now? Yeah, so I have a quite a clear process now hmm. for anybody that is making that transition. For myself, I just looked into research at, at quite simple things to begin with. So really small things um, that everyone should be doing. So slowing down your eating, finding out how long you take to eat a meal. Most people eat a meal, especially on prep, within about 30 seconds, and then you've got nothing else. Um, things like slowing down your eating. I switched all my utensils from you know, big spoons to teaspoons and forks to chopsticks and things that force me to slow down. Um, and that's the first step even now that I will still use for, for clients, not encouraging them to use chopsticks, but just to slow down. Um, eating with distractions, that was a really easy thing for me to do first off and it does work. We all eat with our phones, with our with the TV on or with some sort of distraction. And again, that's the first thing that should come into play. Even now, that's the first thing that I'll have clients work on. Um, is eating a meal without distractions. To be honest, nothing really didn't work for me. Everything okay. that I implemented from the first from the first bit of research that I did, and it's probably because I based what I did on a, a pre-established um, program. So the mindfulness-based um, eating awareness training program. It's a oh, cool. it's a kind of specific program of eight weeks, and it starts to implement things like what we've just spoken about and meditation, etc. So. I use that as guidance for myself before then um, expanding on that for clients mm-hmm. and things like that. Do you find it at all difficult or do any of your clients find it difficult 
moving from kind of I guess that precise accuracy of knowing they've hit certain like numbers if they are tracking macros to then like not using their food scale and doing things more by eye and by feel is there anything I, I guess is that just an inherent struggle you have to go through or is there anything you found to help with that uh. It is an inherent struggle. Everyone goes through it, especially competitors. I work with a lot of girls who who have a great coach until they compete and then they come to me for that that off season and then they say, My coach is great, I want to prep with them, but I just need you for this this right. period. And that's fine. That works yeah. that works well for me. Um, and they're the ones really that struggle most with it, of course. They're, they've got it ingrained in their head. And it is just a slow process and, and you know the, there's certain tools that we implement um, and certain processes that we use to slowly move away from that. Not many of my clients move completely from tracking to then being fully intuitive. You know, only say 10% of my clients will fully move to that intuitive okay. way of eating um, because a lot of them don't want to do it. Yeah. And I think that although I, I promote intuitive eating for some people, I'm not anti-diet. And I think that's where, that's why you, like you said, I've got this kind of niche because we have these really dichotomous groups at the moment in nutrition, as you know, of the anti-diet group and then the track everything that you eat group. And there are just, there aren't a lot of us that are in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but they, yeah, they do find it hard and it is a hard process. We've been ingrained in our ha- heads for how long that dieting is the thing that we need to do and tracking is the thing that we need to do to do that. And yeah. It's very hard to get out of it. I think it's nice that you you kind of talked about how, I mean, not even all of your clients do it. And I think from the outside in, some of your people might think, oh, Amelia does a mindful eating. So all of her clients must do that, which obviously isn't the case. And it's very similar, like for myself, I'm often tracking, but I'll have clients who won't necessarily do that or they do certain amounts of it. And I think it's really important to talk about the different methods and there's different levels of it. So I don't know if you'd be happy to talk about kind of the strictest you go and then all the way to like mindful yeah yeah so just to make a distinction you've got mindfulness based eating which has been you know mindful of your food and generally doesn't involve tracking and then you've got the extreme end of intuitive eating which okay. is incorporates mindful eating into that and um, but intuitive eating is very anti-diet and um, they are the kind of they, they very much are the type of people that think that dieting is is the worst thing you can possibly do for your health and and they base that on all of the research that suggests that diets are not always successful long term which we know that research is there um so mindfulness kind of falls in the middle so all of my clients will undertake some mindfulness eventually some of them are more reluctant than other, others um but so the most extreme i have i have girls who compete so there's no chance that they're doing that mm-hmm. intuitively um and so they will track everything. I have some girls that end up on meal plans for a few weeks. That's kind of the most extreme last resort. We'll transition you back out of a meal plan situation. So that is very extreme in my opinion. Um, and then I have girls, like I say, who are very mindful, who don't track at all. And they are very much the intuitive eating types. And and they some of them have come from that extreme meal plan approach from other coaches. Um, and it's very much a process of transitioning them out. And you can do that by starting to implement certain mindfulness-based techniques uh, based on the original research that was done on that, that eight-week program that I suggested. Mm-hmm. That was originally done in binge eaters. So it was a very specific group. And the evidence doesn't say that it supports fat loss unless it's accompanied with nutritional support. Right. But again, but that's fine. you know. And that, I think that's where, that's where the anti-diet group fall down a little bit in the sense that 
diets don't work, but the ones that do work are the ones that have the nutritional support. So people like yourself who provide that support, the diets do work and yeah. they can be sustained. Um, and I think that's, I think that's what they're lacking a little bit, mm-hmm. but regardless, um, so yeah, I have clients on the full spectrum and they tend to start with all of my clients will have mindfulness based habits within a month of them starting all of them. And it might be something simple as no phones when you eat. Yep. Um, and some of them already come to me that meditate and they already do all of these things. And so we push it a little bit harder and we have certain tasks that they have to, they have to do each week that helps them to tune into their internal hunger cues and internal fullness and self-compassion it all kind of comes into one to allow them to eat more intuitively mm-hmm. no i like that and i think it's a good way kind of, of viewing it is that there's lots of different tools that you can use at different times that are appropriate and very much like some of the ways of mindful eating you might not necessarily do distinctly mindful eating but you might use a lot of those tools whilst you're dieting because i mean eating slowly focusing on your food is only going to help in that scenario so you just kind of combine them to get to the result that you want. And something I'd love you to talk about, Amelia, is kind of your success with it in that I think a lot of people maybe are scared to go down that route because they're like, I've always either like gained weight or lost weight. I've never just mm-hmm. stayed. And how am I going to do that if I'm not tracking and knowing I'm at maintenance? So kind of how long have you been doing it and how's your kind of weight changed over that period of time? How's it been for you? That's so normal. Just that that kind of mindset is so um kind of typical um of anyone that's dieted even someone that hasn't competed and hasn't actually tracked anyone that's dieting or has dieted they don't know how to just maintain Mm -hmm. um and it is a result really of us being so focused on these external cues so whether that's my fitness pal or what some horrific celebrities told us to do on instagram whatever it is we've been so reliant on these external cues for so long that we just don't trust ourselves anymore. We trust our phone more than we trust our yeah. our actual physiological body, like uh, responses. So it's quite normal. Um, I haven't tracked anything for about a year and a half. I did um, British finals in 2017 in summer. Um, and after that, I didn't track from the second day. So I didn't even, I don't reverse diet. I find that generally reverse dieting actually can increase binge um, frequency in a lot of people. So I I personally don't reverse diet, some of my clients do. And I didn't track from that point. So that's nearly two years actually. Um, Last year I did an experiment where I dieted without tracking just to see how I could, what happened. Mm -hmm. Um, And I got to about two kilos from stage weight and then I went to California and and that that was fine. So yeah, I'm quite successful with it. But I am very well aware that I've I've tracked for, you know, four or five years before that. My master's is nutrition. I know food inside out. You know, I look at it every single day. Mm-hmm. I am very well aware that I'm in a sort of unique position in that sense. But like I say, I have clients now who don't track at all. Um, clients who come to me who are on meal plans who binge, who then don't binge at all anymore and don't track anymore. And although it's a scary process, a lot of the time it's, just taking out the emphasis of scale weight. Once you remove the emphasis of fat loss is the only thing that's important. And that's what's great about intuitive eating is that it's, it's not a restriction thing, it's an addition thing. So it's more, you think about other health outcomes, you think about how you can add to your diet to make you more healthful. You can think about, it's like a process goal mm-hmm. rather than kind of that end point goal of this is my, this is my goal weight, um, which is when we get those self-sabotage cycles 
intuitive eating is very much a process goal oriented thing so it's all about habits yeah um but people don't want to let go of scale weight is everything they don't want to let go of it even if they say scale weight doesn't matter but i still weigh myself every week they they, they that's for the people that they, they tend to struggle with it and it's very hard to let that go mm-hmm. um like i don't weigh myself i probably weigh myself once every three months now I, it's it's fruitless really if you're healthy i guess that is the worry of i guess if people feel maybe that the scale can show them whether or not they're being successful like it's a tool of measuring it but we know Mm -hmm. especially if they're doing it once a week or infrequently or they don't have that understanding they can get very immediately kind of like oh this doesn't work for me because my scale weight fluctuated by this amount and they get into that bad cycle again yeah but then intuitive eating there's so much research to support intuitive eating in terms of improved body satisfaction improved um overall health outcomes reduced disordered eating patterns mm-hmm. um reduced emotional eating and why are they not markers of of success mm-hmm. and i think that's that's something that again it's been ingrained in us for a long time but why is scale weight a bigger marker of success if you are of a healthy if you're healthy why is scale weight more important than those factors? Yeah. And I think that people kind of, they don't want to look at themselves in that way, but they need to look at themselves in that way and say, why Why am I putting so much emphasis on what that scale says when I am healthy, happy, I don't binge eat like a lot of the bikini athletes do. You know, you're probably healthier than the bikini athlete who weighs 10 kilograms less than you. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of the environment that we're in, we're just so stuck on that number. Yeah it's frustrating (laughs) and i guess for competitive athletes at least the scale weight is always an indicator because it's like oh this was my stage weight i need to like i don't know gain weight in my off season or whatever it might be in that regard do you ever have any ways of focusing on obviously we have those other external factors of just being kind of satisfied and feeling good in ourselves do you focus maybe more on performance within the gym with some of your competitors how does how do you kind of get them to focus on that yeah so performance in the gym is the first thing that we look at um but then i just you know it comes through coaching doesn't it with your probing questions and and for me a measure of its success is if a girl who's competed non-stop for the last four years and tracked everything for four years goes out for dinner with her boyfriend and it doesn't escalate into a binge and then she doesn't do compensation cardio the next day that's huge success that's yeah. huge that's much more successful than her gaining and then her saying actually i've gained half kilo but i know that it's nothing and i'm carrying on that's bigger success to me and to them than anything else and that's what will last with them for life scale weight doesn't last longer than a week mm-hmm. or longer than a day um so there are they're not necessarily objective markers and i know you love an objective marker they're very much um, subjective but that's the type of client that I yeah. tend to work with. Lifestyle, big ticks in the lifestyle box are what's really important yeah. for me. No, I think I can completely see that. And I've had that with competitors um, who have struggled to transition into that. And it's kind of like, that is in its own self, like a win. Like that is progressive in life. Like being able to do those things and live your life to the fullest. Because at the end of the day, people get very obsessed with competing but it isn't the be all and end all there's a lot more to it and you're not going to be competing for forever um obviously before you said a lot of your success you think came from or at least was helped by the habits and kind of previous nutritional tracking understanding of all of that do you feel like that's maybe a prerequisite would you have someone would you ideally have someone go through that before yeah i try and have people understand that and and 
that's something that's quite different from the the very evidence-based intuitive eating movement that is okay. anti-diet they don't tend to focus so much on that education side of things but as a nutritionist it's really important for me that people understand food so yeah generally speaking i won't ever have a client that comes to me and immediately starts intuitive eating mm -hmm. i will always work with them to educate them on food first so basic things the macros fiber that type of thing and then once they understand what a serving of protein is then they can remove tracking of that they don't have to weigh out a chicken breast they know that's a serving of protein um so yeah they, they do need to have some sort of understanding and there are some people that are just not meant to kind of intuitively eat straight off and people that have been very under restricted so for example competitive athletes who have no idea actually what they should be eating because they're completely skewed um, and again people who are very very overweight tend to have that skewed vision of what they should be eating so right. yeah there are certain prerequisites to say you're not ready to intuitively eat at this point definitely and something i've definitely noticed with you is that you're really careful with the language that you use uh, i think a lot of pts and probably most pts in the past have already been um fallen for the good bad food most people have probably fallen for this and i know it's something you're really particular about and that's part of your education um why do you feel like this is maybe something people should have an understanding of good and calling foods good and bad isn't necessarily the correct sort of terms for them and then any other terms that you have a particular kind of dis dislike for and why <laughs> <laughs> you know some of these <laughs> um well really intuitive eating is actually based on 10 core principles and one of them actually is um, the removal of the good the good food bad food labeling so it's part of a fundamental principle of the concept of intuitive eating so that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm so focused on it but it's it's because it atta it's attached to guilt and anything that suggests that one food is better than the other suggests that the one that is worse is in some way attached to some sort of guilt when you consume it and we know that especially any sort of disordered eating, a lot of it is associated with guilt. And so choosing to use, even without realizing it, choosing to use foods like clean, which makes my blood boil, or, you know, I had a bad week with food. What's a, what, what do you mean by bad? It's just really trying to challenge people to think, what makes you think that that food is bad in any way? And so... Yeah, I am very, very particular about the words that I use. And sometimes clients, even now, they've been with me for a year, they like they slot in clean into an update. And, and I, I can't help but pull yeah. it up because it's we don't want to have this good food, bad food situation. Um, we need to get out of these kind of rules that society has given us that certain things are better than others. Um, so they're the, they're the main ones that I don't like. And again, as you know, I hate the terms when you refer to yourself as anything, you know, if you're, especially if you're an athlete, fluffy, soft, that type of thing. Again, it comes down to, that one kind of comes down to more self-compassion and self-kindness. There's loads of evidence to support that being compassionate towards yourself improves body satisfaction. It improves um, mindfulness around eating. It reduces disordered eating just by being compassionate towards yourself. And when you see, especially athletes who are of a healthy body weight, they may be 10 kilograms above stage weight, but they're still a healthy yeah. body weight. When they refer to themselves in that way as soft, fluffy, or whatever term they use, it not only shows that they have no compassionate towards, compassion towards themselves, and they're more likely to have disordered eating, but it encourages everyone 
who follows them to then think that that's an okay way to look at themselves. And as women, especially, we're brought up to think that, that we're not supposed to feel that way about ourselves. And so it is ingrained in us, but it's our responsibility as adults to say, I'm going to speak to myself in the way that I should be spoken to. And it does translate into eating behaviours, health, well-being, just little things like word choice. Yeah. Um, so it's, sometimes it comes across really, and, I, and some and you might have picked this up on my social media, hippy dippy. Someone called me recently. Okay. But actually, actually, it is evidence based. Yeah. You know, the compassion, comp- self compassion, is an evidence based um, practice to remove disordered eating and improve well being. So that's why I get so passionate about word choice. <laughs> yeah, I think it, the psychology of it is like massive. People don't really understand that, and even for myself, I know as competitors, we're very kind of in a sense, body dysmorphic. We're very hypercritical of ourselves. But even for yourself, Amelia, I know for my own social media presence, sometimes I'll put out kind of a physique shot or something and I'll be like, I look less worse and I'm trying to be, I don't know, you're trying to be somewhat <laughs> humble or try and be like, uh, yeah, you're trying to, you, you're falling for that kind of calling yourself soft. Maybe you're calling yourself fluffy. And in your eyes, you might be, but yeah, I think there's a bit of a responsibility on the person posting that. So for anyone who is already in great shape, like they know they're in great shape. Don't this the do you, what is the impact potentially on other people viewing it? Do you see that as well? Yeah, uh, so I kind of see this uh, from both sides. I think that anyone with any sort of following at all has a, has a certain responsibility. It's why I put up, you know, a picture of me drinking tequila or eating a cinnamon bun or whatever it is because. I have a responsibility to show the type of person that follows me that that is what I do. And and, that, and genuinely, that is what I do. And, and this is not bad. Um, and I think anyone that has a following that has a, that trains well and is healthy, they, they do have a responsibility to, to know that they have young people following them who, who, you know, you'll have people, lots of people that look up to you and admire you and, and will hang on every word you say. And and they will catch on to things that when you talk about yourself in a negative way, and they will they will follow up on that. On the flip side, and I've spoken to clients about this before, who have I get a lot of girls send me pictures and say, I wish this person showed herself when she was bigger. Wow. And I get this quite a lot. And and it come, and then I say, well, why are you following that person? You have a responsibility also as an adult to say, it's up to them what they post. Mm-hmm. You know, it's up to you what you follow. So I think, yes, we have a lot of responsibility about what we put up. And I would never in a million years put up a picture that said, I feel fat today, ever, um, because it's irresponsible. But people do have a responsibility themselves to follow people that make them feel good about themselves. Mm -hmm. And there's too much blaming of other people and not enough personal responsibility on that one, I think. I I completely agree. I think there is a responsibility on the person looking at things to be realize social media is the highlight reel and people can put out anything they want they can make up a whole life for themselves if they want to they can be whoever Mm -hmm. they want to be and we see that there's probably cases where that's been seen and at the same time i do completely agree with you that as someone with a following and you have influence you should be responsible to share good information and not try and kind of perpetuate anything that you necessarily don't want to Uh, it's a fine balance and it's probably quite difficult for a lot of people Uh, you do a great job at it so I think if people are looking for that balance, kind of head over to Amelia's Instagram. She does a really good job. So in terms of obviously, so you, something you talked about was the um, the standard for mindful eating, kind of that guideline of the eight week kind of transition. Are there any other 
sources that you've read that have been particularly helpful for understanding this or maybe you'd recommend to someone who's kind of new to mindful eating and want to kind of get a better handle of it? It's very difficult because especially with your listeners, uh, they tend to be very fitness fitness um, or science based. And unfortunately, that kind of mindfulness intuitive movement just hasn't filtered in yet because it's so opposing to what we talk about all the time. I so the original the original research, um, like I said, was the mindfulness based eating awareness training program. So MBE for short, if anybody wants to look into that. Um, and that's that's where I started looking at it. And then since then, the more intuitive work has just come from textbooks. I think you actually own one of the main textbooks that the one that was published originally in the nineties that developed intuitive eating. These two women. Yes. on the front yeah i do women. have this i i sorry i can't remember i i it was going through my head the entire discussion we've had i read it and i i thought it was really good i really enjoyed it when i read it yeah it's a good book it's one of the ones that i've never read from like start to end but i use it for reference and, and that talks about the 10 principles of intuitive eating um and it talks about things like body food congruent which is really eating to nourish yourself um, it talks about mindfulness meditation and how mindfulness improves eating behaviours. Um, talks about how to start listening to your hunger cues and your satiety cues. So it's a really good fundamental textbook. More recently, um, Laura Thomas, who is a registered nutritionist, she published a book called Just Eat It. And it's very anti-diet, but it's actually it's a great book in terms of it talks a lot about self-compassion. And again, it has lots of practical um, tips to use. So if somebody wants a more textbook or more uh, book type thing to look at, then those two books are probably really useful. Um, research-wise, research-wise, there's a lot of research to support mindfulness yeah. um, but and disordered eating, but there aren't any other kind of very structured approaches other than the mindfulness-based mm-hmm. um, eating program, training program. Yeah, I was going to say with the the text, that textbook, I can remember reading it and there were so many points where I was like, this sounds very similar to flexible dieting in many ways, which I guess is somewhat of a, a stepping stone potentially towards going towards a more yeah. mindful approach. Yeah, and I read something actually yesterday and they were talking about the differences between flexible dieting and intuitive eating. And I think what it comes down to is that flexible dieting still is very much based on external cues. And intuitive eating and mindfulness uh, or mindful eating is very much based on internal cues. So I have clients, for example, who track, but they have, so we work on things like their internal hunger cues and their internal satiety cues. So they'll track and then they'll say, I, I tracked that meal, but I didn't eat it because I was at, uh, you know, I was at a seven on my fullness scale and that's my limit. And they just, then they just throw it away or they save it for later. Um, and we talk about different things they can do because a lot of the time we finish meals because we feel guilty. So um, there, there is a way to do both. And it, and it's, but it does come down to removing your attachment to hitting my fitness pal bang on. But one of the things that's really useful for people to remember and what helps them to reduce that kind of waiting on the numbers is that the internal variability of our food is so huge. So you, as you know, you know, food labels can vary by 10%. Then you've got the errors in my fitness pal. Then you've got, oh, maybe you ran up and down the stairs a couple of times that day. It's so variable. And once people realize that there's inherent variability, regardless of what they do, it 
kind of helps to take the emphasis off those numbers and you know because you've obviously got people like that or yourself <laughs> yeah well it's no i've definitely had experience with myself and with other people where people get highly attached to numbers and trying to match like calorie balance day to day is just like you just can't even do it it's actually completely yeah. flawed and for some people that causes even more stress because they're like oh my gosh i can't even know what what i'm eating yeah. whether it's right but really like you said it should be freeing because i mean you can't possibly know if you've entered a hundred calorie deficit because there's so many errors like there's just so much room there which yeah i think that is a great opening towards people being able to get into more of a oh actually okay so i can't even control it that well so maybe i can transition towards more of a kind of mindful approach mm-hmm. have you ever used the mindful approach towards kind of off season for any athletes or kind of initial dieting phases i know you did it yourself a little bit does that work yeah. well as well i've never had a, cl- a client diet without um tracking or intermittent fasting or something like what you want one of our more kind of traditional type methods i have had quite a few clients who do off seasons um, and then go back to tracking on on prep and it's a great way to do it and like i said i kind of seem to be i seem to, I kind of fallen into that role i think now where i do pick up bikini girls from other coaches and then they slide back to that coach and, <laughs> right. and that's great like i said um because that's what people just want lives in their off season and i think it's fantastic that finally uh, you know that kind of grind harder mentality 24 7 12 you know 12 months a year is not necessarily dwindling and i don't think it's bad for everyone to, to feel that way if you want to feel that way then great but i think that the pressure to feel that way is, has yeah. gone and dissipated a little bit um, and so yeah i do get clients who come to me and they say this is what i was on pre-peak week um, and this is what I want to get to. And, and it's mostly a case of, I just want to just live and I want to be healthy. And so, yeah, I, a lot of my clients will do more intuitive eating. Sometimes it won't be full intuitive. Sometimes it will be, okay, I want you just to eat four protein meals a day and hit your calorie target. And that's, that's pretty basic. Um, and most of them will get to that point. And some of them will then go fully intuitive and then they, mm-hmm. they they panic a little bit when they think they have to start dieting again and they don't know where they what they eat so they don't know where to sit yeah um and actually I, i'm not i actually get some clients who fall into intuitive eating after competing with the aim to compete again and then they realize they don't want to compete anymore because they found this they found that self-compassion they found cool. this health, they found this happy body size where they, and they realized they can live without binging. Um, because a lot of the time prep, as you know, prep kind of masks any disordered eating because you're so structured. Yes. And so people think it saves them. People think that prep and dieting is the thing that cures disordered eating. And when they stop dieting, they develop disordered eating and, it, and right. it's not, it's, it's masked it. Um, and so they realize you know, they've removed themselves of all their binge eating and or disordered eating patterns and guilt, and then they don't want to compete anymore. And so that's, that happens sometimes too. Uh, this is something I was potentially looking to touch on was for yourself. I think it's interesting. Obviously, you competed for three years and now um, not sure where you're going to head in future, whether you'll do it again. Uh, and I was going to ask if it had happened with many of your clients and kind of what the reasons were for it. I don't know if you have more to say on that for yourself, but like what's your thoughts yeah. and feelings in that regard? So, you know, my struggles with, I've tried to diet recently without tracking and I failed after about two or three weeks, I just failed. I can't diet anymore. And, and I don't, what it comes down to a lot of the time is, is your values and your core values 
and what you value as a person. And when you compete, you value that challenge and you value that um, pride in, in winning a trophy. And at that time that I did, I really valued that. And it was a big part of my life. It was a big part of the relationship that I had at the time. And so it, it was easy to do it. And as I've transitioned out of that and as I've got older and my values have changed quite a lot and external validation for me is way at the bottom and competing is quite low at the bottom and everything else is higher. So that's what, that's why I just can't diet. It's just not aligned with my values. And it's the same with clients generally, their values tend to change because when we put more intuitive eating into things, it's about adding things. So it's about adding healthful habits. So, Things like I had on my Instagram today, fermented foods, like right, your healthful habit of the week is going to be implementing fermented foods. And then when they go to prep again, I say, well, you're going to have to track that. And then you then you find yourself tracking things like, like fermented foods or things that make you feel good and you feel like you're treating your body well and you then can't do that anymore. And so if you value, if you value health, your diet's really going to struggle. Um, when you get to that extreme level, of course. Um, so that's that's generally why it happens. I think people's values just shift. Yeah. And I am by no means anti-diet. And for people who value that, if I was five years younger, I might not be saying the same thing. It's it's just my personal values right now. I am pro-dieting. I love competing and I, and I love prepping people and all of those things just for myself and certain mm. clients who transition out of it. So my other coach who, who works with me now, she used to compete and she is a classic example of that where she came to me with binge eating problems. She'd, she'd been anorexic in the past and she won't mind me saying this because it's, it's public knowledge. Um, she'd been anorexic in the past and she'd competed and then her, just, her eating was just awful for her. Um, and her focus, we were to, I coached her for a year and a half thinking she was going to compete at some point and now nothing at all she's intuitive eating half of the week and her values have just changed yeah. and she's she's young she's 25 so it's not just an age thing yeah um so no i don't think it'll be for me anymore but you never know yeah no i think it's nice because you have the skills and the knowledge to be able to go and compete again if you wanted to but it's just not something that like you said it's just not your value right now it's not what you hide, hold in priority and i think potentially younger people are not as experienced and they see competing as something that's kind of flashy and cool and everyone's doing it so you can get a bit drawn into it but I think it's nice that there are especially like there's knowledge now out there there's people like you Amelia who are there to kind of I guess not save people in, in some ways it is saving them <laughs> after shows so you can show them that once you're out of that there is like more to life there is something you can go to it's not just a case of now you compete and that's all you can be yeah. Something I wanted to ask you actually, and I mean, I, I obviously know the value massively in having coaches. Have Do you think there's some of the girls or guys that you've helped do this with who they couldn't have done it without you? Have you had that kind of testimonial, that feedback? Because I imagine having a coach guide you through such a transition is just like it. It could be the difference between being able to do it and not. Yeah, yeah. I'm really lucky. Um, and it probably is because I because I enforce meditation on people and I enforce the self-compassion that people become very vocal in how they feel. And I'm very, I encourage people to feel their feelings because that's part of the reason we eat uh, in a disordered way. So my clients love to tell me these things. Um, and so it's great, but yeah, I have, I do I have clients who have binged, you know, for five years and, and they haven't binged for a year. And again, like Anna was a, a prime example of that. So 
yeah, I do get that type of feedback. I have a client now actually who, when we did we did British finals together in 2017, mm. she came first and I came second. Oh. She's now my client, which is like, oh. <laughs> she's younger than me, so I'm giving her age. <laughs> um, but she is she's a, a really prime example of somebody who she just said, I just want to eat like a normal person, and and she says to me every single week, I've I've, I've never been able to do X, Y, or Z until this point, and and she's had a coach, a great coach, as far as I'm aware. Of, up for the last three years, four years. So I know that it's to do with these methods and and that support and it's, but it it takes a certain type of person to want to do that. You know, not everybody's Mm -hmm. ready to let go of that control. Um, But as soon as people let go of that control, it will change their life. It's just a really scary thing to do. Yeah, I can see that. Um, And I think we've sold people on mindfully eating quite well, but I do want to just to see actually i don't know i actually don't know if there is has anyone failed to do it with you has anyone have you seen not even with you but you've seen people try it and it's just something they can't achieve everyone can achieve slowing down their meals everyone can achieve some part of mindfulness based eating so even if it's a tiny small thing so i have a really great client at the moment who was previously getting medical support for an eating disorder and she She's fantastic. She's gained some weight. Um, she has mindful moments in the day. She eats her meals mindfully, but she hates meditation. And she's she's fantastic. She'll do whatever you say. She's really great and very smart girl. And she she says, I just can't do it. I hate meditating. I don't understand it. And, and I failed at it. So there are certain concepts that some people just don't get on board with. And that's completely fine. Um, but she will do something else that's mindfulness-based. So she goes for a walk in the day and has to have a mindful moment or, or whatever it is. Um, everyone can do something mm-hmm. and everyone will benefit from something. There, Even just mindfulness-based practice alone, if we take out any sort of eating behaviours, we know that it reduces stress. I actually saw a post from somebody today, an infographic today that was speaking about um, meditation and improved hypertrophy because of the reduced overall stress. Um and improved sleep then may therefore hypothesize that it actually improves strength so right it's cool and yeah. it, and and so mindfulness can improve everybody in some way and as long you just have to find that way that it improves for them something mm-hmm. for them and then they're on board and um so yeah everyone falls somewhere on the spectrum i have some clients that send me check-ins with a huge big essay that says they really enjoyed a cup of tea and the way that it felt in their mouth (laughs) and that's i love it yeah and i have other clients who say yeah i took 10 minutes to eat a meal and it was great it filled me up a bit more so that's fine so yeah we have a spectrum (laughs) yeah and to squash anyone kind of who might be thinking this and i guess there will be people thinking this Have you had anyone do mindful eating or go down that more intuitive road and just like get absolutely out of shape and really, really fat? No. And yeah, never, never. <laughs> I've never had it. Um, if I use, so if I use myself as an example, I, I maintain body weight lower than my old off season weight now by intuitive eating. So I'm used to gain about 10 kilos in off season. Now I'm about five kilos above stage weight ish. I don't know because I don't weigh myself, but ish. Um, but clients are the same they once my clients intuitively they then tend to go off after a little bit because they don't need me anymore and they will i've had clients get in contact with me later and say i just want to let you know this is how it's going and they they look the the, i don't want to say better their body composition is improved or it's maintained but the emphasis is gone from that anyway that's not something that they say that's just something that i can see for myself um i've never had a client gain weight 
by mindful by putting into place mindful practices or by intuitively eating mm-hmm. ever people that say intuitively eating is the reason that people are overweight these days um that's not intuitively eating that's eating to environmental cues such as boredom such as tv whatever it is that's what that's why we're overweight yeah. not because we are listening to our hunger i think what you've done a great job during this podcast is just explaining that there is structure and there's like steps you can take towards it. it's not just a case of like a lot of people i guess when i introduce like if it fits your macros and they just run with that and drink whey protein and pop tarts and that's all yeah. they have all day it's, i did that <laughs> yeah i mean people will be burnt if they go into mindful eating and just think it's a like it's if it fits your macros without macros basically and they just eat wild like you said comes from the education the background all of that as well yeah and sometimes what does happen is that your weight does go up with that initial no tracking completely but then but then it comes back down again when you one of the underlying um, premises of intuitive eating is that you have permission to eat and just telling people you have permission to eat for some people is is like music to the ears they've never they've never been told that it's okay to just eat um, and so sometimes it does start to their body weight might increase initially but then when they realize oh well, i can eat that whenever i want it, it comes back down again so yeah as long as people remember that they can eat when they want when they need actually people are more scared of that but that's the best thing that they can realize that they can do and i guess at the end of the day the body loves homeostasis really so you're doing the right practices it should somewhat help you get there most people doing this and everyone listening to this podcast is going to be active healthy people Mm -hmm. with a good background of it so yeah i think what you've spoken about here is going to help some people think a little bit more about what they're doing whether or not it's something they want to try um, and if they do want to try it or if they want to get in contact with you, Amelia, kind of where where are you both most present? Where should people reach out to you? At the moment, most present on Instagram um, after a weekend of downtime. Uh, my Instagram is Emilia Thompson PhD um, and my website is Emilia.fitness. So quite straightforward. And yeah, I talk about this all the time. <laughs> Amazing. I want to thank you very much for coming on, Amelia. And I want to thank everyone for listening. We will catch you soon. Thank you.